0: The Fall Away Factor by Steve Hickey. Dedication page. To Caleb, I love seeing your hunger for God, your passion for theology, and your ambition for ministry. Hickey's Cross Finish Lines. Acknowledgements. I know of no place on the planet where people long for the coming of the Lord more, or are being better prepared to be faithful to the end in the International House of Prayer in my hometown of Kansas City. It was Mike Bickle's teaching on the Omega course that provoked me to write this book. I wrote and taught this in our church as a follow-up to his Omega course. A special thanks to my wife, Kristen, and my assistant, Cheryl Horan, for typing and tweaking this manuscript, and to my associate, Dennis White, who embodies loyalty over the long haul, for chasing down a few footnotes and references. I appreciate Carter Nesbitt, Katie Hebert, Randy Bolander and Eugenia Brock for their contribution and skill in editing, proofreading, and layout. And once again, my friend Bobby Galkel of Pie in the Sky Studios creatively captures the perfect look and layout for my message series and book covers. Preface Luke 18.8 Amplified Version However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find a persistence in faith on the earth? In 25 years of pastoral ministry, I have never found a way to avoid the pain of people leaving the church. However, working so fewer people stray from the fold in the first place has proven to lessen the pain. Jesus, the good shepherd, is certainly far more bereaved than I about the subject of this book, the reality that many will fall away at the end of the age. It doesn't matter who they are or what they've done. God never says about anyone, good, I'm glad they're gone. God is all too familiar with rejection, and apostasy is surely a tender topic for our God, who is love. No doubt he takes personally this apostasy because he loves people. In this book, It's Not Business, It's Personal. In his book, It's Not Business, It's Personal, Bob Sorge writes, To Jesus, the church is not business, it's personal. Jesus is not merely an astute businessman who has found a promising enterprise on one of his planets, rather Jesus is a lovesick bridegroom who has come to win the affections of a bride. Love isn't business, it's personal. Granted, bailing on your church is not the same thing as betraying Jesus, yet there is a connection and they are related. Church membership covenants mean very little today, they are great until the first conflict then people somehow feel released from any and all commitments they have made to a local fellowship. If the bride struggles to stay faithful to each other in good times, how will she fare when the hour of darkness comes? If Jesus is faithful to his bride, perhaps we should be faithful too. Though I won't devote an entire chapter to this point, it needs to be made. One of the great anecdotes to apostasy is to stay connected in accountability with others. Quote, Hebrews 10:25. let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The entire book of Hebrews is about not shrinking back. It is a call to persevere. There are a number of reasons people turn from Jesus and fall away from the faith. The focus of this book is what I believe to be the seven big causes. My prayer is that what is written here will be preventative. If what I have spelled out here causes even one person to remain faithful to the end, this book will have served its intended purpose. The lyrics of a popular song by Justin Rizzo and Misty Edwards capture my frequent prayer. I want to be found faithful. I want to be found steady. I want to be found faithful till the end. I pray you'll stay the course and encourage others to do the same. Steve Hickey, September, 2013 chapter one don't let your love grow cold in the summer of 2006 20 percent of the adult population of our church took a newly released teaching series called the omega course which is a dvd study of the end times the response far exceeded our expectations what does it say when so many people made an end time course a top priority having gone through it already in kansas city I felt a strong impression that God would use the Omega Course in an even greater way in our church than he did the Alpha Course. Our church went through a delightful spiritual refreshing and awakening when we introduced the Alpha Course, which is a course that seeks to explore the basics of the Christian faith. More than 60 people were healed. Many experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the first time, and we saw a number of salvations and deliverances. But that summer of 2006 I had the sense that God would use the omega course in even greater ways to more fully align us with him and prepare us for what lies ahead. Frankly, frankly, right now very few in the body of Christ, especially in the United States, are ready for what's ahead. Most have no idea of what's ahead, and many think they know. Many who think they know have ideas more rooted in Christian novels than they are rooted in the word of God. Recently I listened to an interview where an Egyptian medical doctor discussed the human body's capacity to withstand tribulation. The doctor was obviously a brilliant and devout follower of Christ. He described how every cell in the human body has a threshold, and how the limits of that threshold can be gradually lifted to greater levels. People who live in deserts can go without much food or water, and endure direct sunlight day after day, for entire lifetimes. By contrast, many people in our nation have difficulty with exposure to summer heat and stay close to their air conditioners. With some exception, the body of Christ in the West is very low has a very low threshold for tribulation, both physically and spiritually. And the last days will be demanding in every way. Higher gas prices will be the least of our worries as we move closer to the second coming of Christ. A key to preparation that is largely missing is the fasted lifestyle that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Fasting deepens our commitment and our prayers. It helps our root system in God grow. Our spirituality is soft. Our commitments are shallow. Our prayers are soft. Our root system has no depth in God. I'm borrowing that metaphor from the parable of the soils where Jesus said in Matthew 13 21, but since he has no root, He lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Fasting and prayer enable us to go without and lean on God before we are forced onto the narrow path. One of the other reasons believers here in the West have a very low threshold for tribulation is that we've been taught for years that the church won't have to go through tribulation. We've been taught that Jesus will rapture the church before it gets bad. And the Christians are always surprised when they discover there's not one verse in the Bible that supports a pre-tribulation rapture. There are multitudes of verses that talk about the rapture, and many more that talk about the tribulation. But there is no verse that explicitly puts the rapture before the tribulation. What we do have are verses like Matthew 24 that clearly put the rapture after the tribulation, just preceding the second coming. Would you be surprised to hear that this notion of a pre-tribulation rapture originated in a Plymouth Bre- brethren's circle in Europe in the 1830s? The historic hope of the church since the New Testament was written was always one triumphal second coming. It did not consist of a secretive, elusive second coming for the church, followed by a third coming for all the world to see. If this surprises you, don't believe me, Try to find a pre-tribulation rapture in the Bible itself. It's not there. Even the proponents of pre-trib ideas admit that much. The late John Walvoord from Dallas Theological Seminary said, Admittedly, our critics are right. There is no verse that proves our point. However, we can induce it. These are times to get clear about what God's word is saying. Not build doctrines on inducements. Especially if our doctrines result in us not readying ourselves properly for what lies ahead. What God's Word says is not always the same as what the television preachers and prophecy shows are saying. I know that it's much easier to listen to Hal Lindsey and Jack Van Impey than it is to look it up yourself. And maybe you aren't listening to anyone on the subject. We can't ignore this and still obey Jesus. He explicitly commanded us to watch, be vigilant, and pray lest we fall asleep and get caught off guard and not have enough oil in our lamps to last the night. To disregard the end times is to cut more than 150 chapters from the Bible. What you will find in the Bible are multiple verses that speak not of a rapture from tribulation, but of a great falling away during it. We need to be far more concerned about falling away than flying away. So far, this is all review for those in the Omega Course, but it's a critical foundation for me to lay before I dive in here to material that is not covered in the Course. Presented in the Omega Course are two extremes related to Jesus' return. Joel 2.11 says, For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? It says in Malachi 4.5, I will send you Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Great and terrible, great and dreadful. Many are afraid the end times, many are afraid of the end times, but this will be a great time to be alive. Here's a partial listing of the positive trends during this time period, and you can see there is much to which we can look forward. The greatest outpouring of the Spirit of God is yet ahead. The greatest revival ever is yet ahead. There will be a great ingathering of souls, miracles, the salvation of Israel, the church operating in power and authority, supernatural provision, direction, and protection. There will be cities of refuge and pockets of mercy. The dead in Christ will rise. We who are left will meet Jesus in the air. We get new bodies. Jesus returns to the earth to be king for 1,000 years. Satan will be bound and thrown into the lake of fire. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There is much to look forward to. It will be a great day, but it will simultaneously be a terrible day. There will be an outpouring of the most severe judgments by God ever seen. There will be great convulsions in nature wars and rumors of wars, the rage of Satan against the church, retaliation, persecution, two severe waves of death where the earth's population is cut in half. The Antichrist will emerge as the most cruel and evil one to ever live. A false prophet will deceive the masses. There will be an abomination of desolation and many martyrs, and a great falling away. A great apostasy. This book is about this great apostasy. A good place to begin is with the definition. Apo means away and status means standing. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia gives this definition for apostasy, a standing away from. Those now standing with Christ will step away intentionally for a number of reasons, such as being offended at God. How could a loving God allow this? Some will lack spiritual discernment and understanding and fall for a counterfeit peace. Others won't be willing to stand with Israel. The deception factor will be high in those days, and some will step away from Jesus, thinking this other fellow has better answers for the world's problems. Apostasy is the word for falling away from the faith 1st Timothy 4 1 says the spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith 2nd Thessalonians 2 3 says let no one deceive you for that day cannot come without the coming of apostasy first and the appearing of the man of sin apparently this falling away will not be a small thing This verse is telling us it's going to be equally significant of a sign as the emergence of the Antichrist. It is no secret that membership in mainline churches continues to decline, but this is small potatoes compared to the magnitude of the end-day defection. In 1997, we brought Franklin Graham to our city to do a crusade, and thousands came to Christ. Yet I have talked to other pastors in the city about how none of us saw an increase in church attendance. Crusade evangelism is wonderful, but the statistics are not so great. Studies show that only about 3% of those who accept Christ at a crusade end up following Christ. That's a st- sobering statistic on following away, on falling away, but the end-time defection is a defection from within the flock. This falling away is not just from the church, it is a falling away from the faith. It will go beyond backsliding and backpedaling into the realm of betrayal and renouncing core Christian beliefs. There will be many who are now settled in the fold, whose lamp oil will run dry before the night is over. In this book, I am calling for a sobriety of spirit where we wake up to the reality that some who are for him today will not be for him forever. There will be those who one day take the mark of the beast. Many worry if they will accidentally take this mark or if it will be given to them against their will. The answer is no. Just like you can't get saved accidentally, you can't take the mark of the beast accidentally. You can't sleep through church and wake up saved because your buddy filled out a card for you salvation is a gift you choose to accept and it will be the same with the mark of the beast there will be those who get so offended at god that they will consciously decide and commit to not stay the course with christ until the end are we sobered up yet having read all the apostate texts over and over i comprised a list of seven factors fueling this great falling away number one The love of most will grow cold. People will stand on unstable doctrines, number two. Number three, animosity toward Israel will turn many against God's purposes. Number four, horrific events will turn people against God. Number five, half-hearted devotion will be insufficient to fuel perseverance. As in Noah's day, number six, Temporal things will preoccupy many. And number seven, the cost of discipleship will skyrocket. In this chapter and those that follow, I'm going to discuss all seven factors fueling this great falling away. And though I've tried to summarize each of them in a short sentence here, they each are assigned an entire chapter in this book because they are each multifaceted, even as they overlap each other. The love of most will grow cold. Matthew twenty four twelve tells us the great falling away will occur because the love of most will grow cold. The word grow indicates that the cooling off will be gradual. It will take place over time. Love is like a fire that must be fed or it cools off or eventually goes out. Initially as we come into God's graces first, Our hearts are set ablaze and fed by the fact that we are forgiven and set free. Our love for him is fueled by who he is and what he has done. Watchman Nee says, By the time the average Christian gets his temperature up to normal, everybody thinks he's got a fever. This is a major factor fueling apostasy. Christians will not be willing to seem fanatical, extreme, or judgmental some allow the spiritual temperature of the world to cool their hearts it would be revealing to set a thermometer in your heart admittedly as i consider the state of my heart there are seasons when multiple fires are vying for fuel consider these verses from second timothy 3 1 through 5 about the quote terrible times in the last days unquote there will be terrible times in the last days People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. In other words, form without fire. There is much here in these verses, but I want us to examine the other flames that are fed in the hearts of those who have a false form of godliness. Their hearts will burn hot after pleasure and wax cold toward God. In 1 John 2:15 through 17 we find this passage. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lusts. James refers to those who love the world as adulterers. In the last days, many in the church will be found to be in the midst of an ongoing love affair with the world. Every Sunday they convey a false image to others that their marriage to Christ is fine, yet in reality they derive far more excitement from their interaction with the world. The spirit of the world is a cunning seductress who we need to be able to discern and disengage from. Proverbs 726 says, Many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Imagine what it would be like on your wedding day to hear your spouse say these words, I, Steve, take you, Kristen, to be my lawfully wedded wife. I promise to remain faithful to you on Sundays only, at least two out of four anyway. I refuse to forsake all former lovers, choosing rather to cling to them and pursue them throughout the week. As ridiculous as that sounds, the Bible says the church is the bride of Christ. The love of the bride will be a key issue in the days to come, and it won't be enough to simply sit in church on the weekends. One of the books on my shelf is called Intoxicated with Babylon, The Seduction of God's People in the Last Days by Steve Gallagher. Consider what David Ravenhill says in the foreword. The modern day church, especially in the West, has its own mistress, having fallen head over heels in love with the world. The average believer can talk for hours about the things of the world, but then try asking about their relationship with the Lord and they quickly run out of words. The Bible says, quote, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When a person is in love, they will enthusiastically tell you about their beloved. Make no mistake, there is an intense battle for every individual's heart. Friends an apostasy is mounting in the Western church. The born again are bored with God and are poised to fall first under pressure. Revelation 12:11 says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, yet there is more. The verse actually says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and because we love not our lives unto death. Those who overcome love one thing, Him. They long for Him alone. They are increasingly lovesick for his return. Nothing else about this life has their hearts. In the very last paragraph of the Bible, we read, quote, the spirit and the bride say, come, quote. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Notice how in the last days there will be a remarkable unity between the spirit and the bride. The two will be in sync. There will be no division between the spirit and the church. Today there is only a growing unity between the Spirit and the Bride. However, many churches, including our own for a season, bring grief to the Spirit and quench the desires of the Spirit's operation in the church. Some say the Spirit is not really operating in any noticeable way in the church today. Others teach that the Spirit will be removed from the earth in the last days. Those ideas are nowhere in the Word of God. What we find in the Word of God is such a great outpouring of His Spirit on the church in the last days that the longings of the Spirit and the longings of the Bride are the same. We will see the culmination of the desire of the Spirit and the Bride. And what is it? It is an intensified longing for Jesus to come. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, come, Lord Jesus. You are our heart's desire. Our hearts burn with passion for you. In the end, God will simply give people what their hearts have desired all along. Those who do not want him in their lives today will not be forced to spend eternity with him. We will all get what we long for. Those with hearts set on temporal things will be greatly disappointed that they were not more lasting. And those who reject the seduction of this world today won't fall for it later either. Don't settle for form without fire. If you want to foster a hunger for him, start fasting from all the rest. Pray prayers like, God, I want you more than I want my dream house. I want you more than I want anything else. If I don't get you, I'll die and that is okay too because you are my promised reward. My wife is the one who led the way for me to come out of the realm of form without fire. I used to love a good debate about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life more than I loved Jesus. Lots of people in the church are like this. Their faith is about everything but him. We need to come to the place where it's only about him. I'll give you this passage in two paraphrased translations. It's from the Song of Songs 8, verses 6 and 7 which is basically about the love between Christ and his bride. First from the Good News Bible. Close your heart to every love but mine. Hold no one in your arms but me. Love is as powerful as death. Passion is as strong as death itself. It bursts into flame and burns like a raging fire. Water cannot put it out. No flood can drown it. But if anyone tried to buy love with wealth, contempt is all they could get and now from the message hang my locket around your neck wear my ring on your finger love is invincible facing danger and death passion laughs at the torres of hell the terrors of hell the fire of love stops at nothing it sweeps everything before it floodwaters can't drown love Torrents of rain can't put it out. Love can't be bought. Love can't be sold. It's not to be found in the marketplace. Pray that passage back to the Lord multiple times a day this week, and watch what happens in your heart. Your desire for him will increase. You will begin to adore him. And mediocrity, let alone apostasy, will not be an option for you." End of chapter one.